0: I'm Aaron Armstrong.
1: I'm Pete Moran. And we love to watch. We love to watch pledges yet again to not do any impressions of any of people of color this week. (laughs)
0: People who, without color, who are imitating people with color. <laughs> I got. You know, I am really without color. Um, person without color. Uh, yeah, we... we. It's illegal. We can't do it. I I think, Peter, this is now, after Shawshank Redemption and Morgan Freeman, the second illegal accent movie that we're covering. I think we have to admit that we really missed the boat. We could have been doing those Goodfella accents a lot more, Instead, we talked about the movie. I don't know. I don't know if we did a New York accent. And some people say in the biz, we do the best
1: mm-hmm. New York yeah. accents in the biz. We actually have a um, sign in our window that says best New York
0: accents around. Yeah. Best New York. You did it. You did it. <laughs> you did it. Um, <laughs> you did it. Um, um, I was actually thinking. I, and hey, we when didn't I w- do that much Scottish accents, if any.
1: Yeah, very few. Last too. week for Trainspot. L- low confidence in our in our Scotsman accents. Um, we're gonna
0: be able to do some 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 English nonsense accents next week with Clark Grange. Yeah, and we might be able to get a little more Irish accent. We can do the whole Great Britain Isles mm-hmm. um, if we if we really put our mind. Like, there's no Wales movie we're covering, but I mean, it's trainspotting was Scottish. Mm-hmm. Clockwork Orange, British. Clockwork Orange is like neo Cockney. <laughs> yeah. Uh it's close enough. Uh and uh and Boondock Saints, they're famously Irish are the Saints, man. Oh, ha-ti-ta-ti-ta. There was a fire fight. <laughs> Uh well. <laughs> like you took a line that's the from mo- one of the <laughs> only people a movie does and doesn't do an accent. He's the most Irish person in that movie. Um I assume he will pl- play. I, I- I think his character is gay in that movie, right? Yeah. I'm sure that'll be a respectful portrayal. I haven't seen it since 2001. Uh, And the director's A Noted Asshole. So we'll get there. We, we, We love to watch. We're a movie podcast. We pick a theme. We do movies over the course of the month around that theme. And if we remember, we compare and contrast. We're doing the first movie this month that I had never seen before. I had definitely seen the last 10 minutes a billion times from every VH1, I Love the 80s show and other just movie clip shows and everything else. But I never see this movie. This is uh, 1983's Scarface directed by Brian De Palma, written by Oliver Stone. And I'll tell you what. So we're – and and we're doing uh, – I didn't even say what what our theme is. We're doing dorm room movie posters. Uh, which also had some some good dovetailing to like film bros, IMDb top two fifty favorites, and going into this week, Peter, I I said one thing that I think I am more and more convinced is true, and I, this isn't like fate gatekeeping or like oh you like Scarface, name your three favorite Scarface scenes. Oh, is your favorite band? Name your three favorite albums. Uh, but I I just like. I fundamentally don't believe that as many people have seen this movie as the other movies on this list. I think they've seen the ending scene. I think they're aware of some of the bigger cultural hits from it or the moments from it, but it is a three-hour movie. And as someone who watched a ton of movie with movie friends throughout high school and college i knew people that had seen this movie i don't remember anyone and all the times that we watched donnie darko 20 times or fight club 50 times or the amount of times people wanted to do boondock saints i don't there was not a, i didn't part part of the reason i never watched this is that no one ever was like let's watch scarface tonight and i i, I think some of that is just the length you I know mean, this still time where people were pulling out their vhs's and there was a lot of booze whenever, anyone pulled out a like a two VHS set or something like that but I don't even remember anyone even suggesting this so again I'm not trying to say that like the people that have claimed to like it or have put it on it still is on the IMDb top 250 uh, I'm not saying that they they haven't seen it or are lying about seeing it, but it kind of feels like a movie that you've seen, even if you haven't seen. And I think some of it is just like Al Pacino's character and what I know about him from this movie is cool enough to hang on your on your movie wall. And what's funny is I tried to do a little bit of research on this. It's kind of impossible to actually get any numbers because there's no like Nielsen family for for posters. But I did a few like Google searches for what are the most popular movie dorms room posters right and what's funny is is that there's a lot of movies that we very specifically chose not to cover that are on that list like uh Pulp Fiction or something like that a lot of the movies we're covering didn't show up on those lists some did this was on every list the Scarface poster whether it's the movie poster or the scene with Al Pacino with the with the machine gun that was everywhere so I do like again I don't I don't Again, yeah, just because i hadn't seen it doesn't mean that that um that that other people who also felt like ah, i kind of seen this movie hadn't seen it but i do think this is probably our least seen among film bros of the movies we're covering this month
1: yeah or it's a movie that they saw once uh you yeah. know on tv and they saw the ending um probably for you know my generation more so it would have been like you watched the youtube clips of <clears throat> the finale yeah. Um, but like this is a movie with a significant cult behind it. And yet you're right. I feel like everybody I've asked has been like, I've seen bits and pieces of it on TV. I saw bits and pieces of it on YouTube. And I think that its legacy obviously well, well predates YouTube because it was not a movie that was later rediscovered as a cult movie. It was a cult movie pretty quickly and it, it was influential in hip hop culture immediately. Yeah. Um, and like there's, rappers there's a rapper named scarface there's like biggie has has like direct quotes from scarface in his songs like i remember on mtv cribs so many rappers had some form of like a mural to scarface like whether or not it was like, like the world is the world is ours type yeah like yeah the, yeah, the, yeah and uh like some guy had like oh uh he had like a a box with one of the cigars that was used in Scarface in it, like some rapper had it in his house. like this is one of those movies that like I think the way to talk about it, and like particularly like young men's the young men of all all colors fascination with it, um is kind of because hip hop culture made it into a a a cult movie when it came out, it made some money. It was reviewed kind of mediocre. <laughs> we'll get to in a minute. <laughs> Ebert loved it, but like most reviewers were like, Pacino is corny in this, and you know, the direction is overwrought. There was also kind of a thing going around about De Palma being, um, all style, no substance, which I think is, yeah. It's a criticism that has faded over the years, I think for good reason. Um, it's a stupid, it's a stupid criticism. Um, but,
0: uh, the... There's a lot of directors of that era that we now hold in high regard that were like – people were annoyed at their style over – such a lazy criticism. Like actually yeah. one of the things that can make a very good director is a lot of style. <laughs> like, Yeah, it's a visual me- medium. Like a fuck, yeah. I mean you don't have to shoot everything like you're doing a fucking courtroom drama.
1: Yeah. If if the visuals don't make you feel anything, that's a problem. But it's a visual medium, I think. Yeah. It'd, be, yeah. it'd be like, oh, man, this uh, – <clears throat> this painter um, uses too many colors. <laughs> just yeah. trying, to hide, uh, of, uh, trying to hide a lack of trying to hide a lack of emotion in their work by splashing you with colors or something. Um, yeah, I, it's well, just it's, so- it's it's a bad it's it's a bad criticism. But yeah, this movie this movie was not like an instant hit the way that like the other a lot of the other gangster movies were. Like yeah godfather was like in oscar contention the year it came out it changed well the culture. and this was positioned
0: as an 80s godfather from a marketing perspective like oliver stone was getting a little bit of a name he hadn't directed a movie yet um uh you know de palma had done a lot of somewhat like critically acclaimed movies or like on the precipice of like critically acclaimed movies now they're very critically acclaimed like blow uh blow out and um Uh, and sisters and stuff like that. But uh, yeah, what's, I I think like specifically what was clear about this watching movie that like the, the hip hop culture or youth culture that like glommed onto this glommed onto an aesthetic and like a, a impression, which was really like very clear to me because I had a very different impression of what this movie was going to be having been inundated with imagery uh, and whether it's imagery from like, like you said, like from, From hip-hop culture, music videos, people that have these posters on their dorm room, the clips that I would see on, like, various movie shows or I Love the 80s or something like that. And I think, like, what is being appropriated uh, is the the aesthetic, is the idea of, like, Ritz, glamour, his house is amazing, his suits are really nice, he says the world is mine, and he decorates the house – and everything like that, what was striking to me is like how I, – I had a very different impression of who Tony Montana was based on that aesthetic lifting that occurs combined with the way it's used to – you know, he's a, he's a tough guy. He's a take-no-shit guy. He's a me-against-the-world guy, which is a lone hero and anti-hero. And what I was texting you about when I was watching this for the first time was it was truly amazing about what a whiny loser he was that, like – like, as a character, he is – like, he's barely an anti-hero. He is unlikable throughout. And again, I understand, like, when you see, like, the glitz and the glamour and the the way he decorates his house and the way he dresses. Like, it looks fucking great on a movie poster. Like, I've seen the movie poster of him in that giant fucking hot tub with a cigar out of his mouth and a, you know, attractive 1980s Al Pacino and, you know, uh, looking intense at the screen. And, like, that's an Image that I think resonates with a lot of people to go like this guy has it all and he looks cool as shit and he looks like the type of person that people would want to be. But, but, but it like in that movie scene, he is like a petty loser who is like just constantly talking about his money he's ignoring his beautiful wife played by Michelle Pfeiffer who's like you you're a loser you have nothing interest to say you have nothing like it's it's the disconnect between the imagery which I understand why that aesthetic looks good in a, in a vacuum and the character in the movie that he plays is very striking it does not match in any way
1: yeah <clears throat> Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. Um, it, like, uh, it's a movie about a brash capitalist, um, who, uh, is so, so desperate for the markers of success that he, um, sacrifices his soul, sacrifices his body, sacrifices his friends, um, in order to, like... Uh, get these markers of success and whenever one of these markers of success you know threatens to 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 leave him he violently lashes out and ends up being this very pathetic figure i would not describe tony montana as a tragic figure because tony montana there's literally like two scenes in the movie where he's sympathetic right at the beginning and then the movie kind of dispenses with that um He's a trap.
0: He's whipped path- to anger in a way that's destructive, not cool.
1: Yeah, he's a pathetic figure who you see and you go, you go. Oh, this is this is our hero, and the movie is very quick to try to find humanity in him later in the movie. It tries to find humanity later in the movie, um, but always balances out with like Tony is a monster. Tony is this animal. Tony is always an animal. Um, And that anytime he shows exhibits a sense of self-awareness or a sense of humanity um, or or vulnerability, like true vulnerability, um, it ends up being a pathetic moment, not a triumphant moment of a bad person, you know, maybe coming to terms with what they've done. Instead, Tony Montana is um, not a desirable figure. And they basically at the end of the movie, I mean, throughout the movie, they basically just like admit that like he wants to fuck his sister. Like he has a weird... Yeah. Incestuous stuff going on. It's one of those things that I think this movie, like, was so wrapped up in, like, this, like, uh, cult that, like, all of the, um, the rough edges of it got sanded off. And also, on the flip side, not just the cult, but, like, the detractors. I think this, this movie's reputation is essentially this is the coolest gangster movie of all time, or this movie's a racist mess and sucks. I think, I think both of those perceptions kind of just, Uh, brush off the nuance and rub out the nuance on this movie that like actually makes it interesting and why i wanted to talk about it because like it is it is a fascinating movie it's a movie that has like a racist history attached to it but it's also like like it's a movie that like the Cuban people have a, had a complex relationship with, or Hispanic Americans, I should say, have a complex relationship with, because when it was first coming out, Cuban Americans hated this movie, and they had to move the production
0: from Miami to L.A. Right? Think, like, yeah, 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 yeah. It is, it is interesting. It, like I said, it was just, it was a. I ended up liking the movie. I just was. Um, You know, this is a movie that, like, you're almost tempted to mark as watched on a letterbox, even though you know you haven't watched it. Because you're like, I get it. I've seen enough. Like we were talking about. I get the gist. And I I realized that my impression of it from all the images was completely off. Because there is a, like you said, there's a patheticness. He is not like, uh, Tony Montana is someone who everyone is constantly being like, can you chill out and knock it off? And... Everyone is right throughout the entire movie. Like, he is the person who, like, throws the scene, has a fit, and, like, no one is like, yeah, you got him, bud. Everyone's like, Jesus Christ, this guy is such a liability (laughs) for the whole movie. And – and like he's never cool he's constantly causing problems he does have some modicum of success but like he's like as a as an aesthetic he is someone that people understandably want to emulate as a character like his character doesn't exist in pop culture i mentioned the ending scene which is famous i i always pictured that having seen that scene over and over that it was leading up to some sort of defiant last stand of the king of the world going down. And like that say hello to my little friend and I'm going to kill as many people as I can. You can't take me down. I'm Tony Montana. That kind of like persona that we've seen in tons of mob movies. Um, uh, And instead you get like this guy who uh just killed his sister's husband, who has lost everything, who has, uh, Impotently yelled at a guy who he was his partner with after like fucking up and saying, you know, come kill me. And he doesn't even bother. He is such an impotent, like minor cog in this wheel that the guy doesn't even bother letting him talk. He just hangs up on him and is like, "I'm gonna send people to kill you." Then his sister is like, "You're a you're a little impotent piece of shit that wants to fuck me. So go ahead." While he while shoots at him while while she shoots at him. And then like in his last moment of I like depressed, I have literally nothing left to lose. I might as well functionally commit suicide and and take out people with like it's not a defiant last stand, it's it's a uh, it's a depressed, I give up action, <laughs> it, which is like so different from the way it exists outside of the movie's context.
1: Yeah, it is. It is more in common with like the ending of Taxi Driver than it does the end of The Wild Bunch. Right. Yeah. Um, where it's like, yeah, he's sticking it to some bad guys. But like he himself is like throwing his own body into this act because without this act, he may just turn that violence inward. Right. Mm-hmm. Um and, and, and yeah, like, this is a movie that, like, I, conceptually, I think it's actually a really great idea. Like, so, um, the original 1932 Scarface movie that it's, you know, based on, or con- at least conceptually, um, was, uh, essentially a telling of the Al Capone story. It's a immigrant, yeah. it's an immigrant story, not, you know, it's an immigrant story about, like, how, um, you know, this, this, uh, bad and violent man <laughs> rose to power and then, you know, had a precipitous decline. Um, but, but they said, like, make it about, make it a Cold War contemporary movie about, like, what people are afraid of today. And there was a fear in the air about, um, Latin American, uh, refugees, uh, coming from, uh, all these countries that we in some way fucked with. Um, yeah. Cause the, the CIA, Jimmy Carter, Ronald Reagan, we all, we, we fucked with South and Central America in considerable, considerable ways. And, uh, in the case now- of Cuba, in the case of Cuba, there, Castro was basically like, fine, I have a bunch of like, I have a bunch of pop, I have a, a large population of people that fucking hate me. Like, to get some good PR, I'm gonna shove all these people that have relatives in the U.S. I'm going to shove him out of the country. And then he also used that as an opportunity to empty some jails. The story that the movie tells at the beginning has a lot of nuance missing, which is that you could go to jail in Cuba for just not being a good communist. You weren't necessarily a serial killer in Havana, Havana, right? Like, you go to jail for, like, printing pamphlets that Castro didn't like or saying something weird at work and getting reported, right? Like...
0: Yeah, well, and, and that's what actually got Oliver Stone interested, because he was tapped to write a remake of Scarface, the 1932 movie. You Watch that movie. I almost watched it. I just didn't have enough time. I was like, I've never seen it. It is considered a, like a well, a critically acclaimed movie, even to this day. Contemporary critics say a lot. I've never seen it. Uh, I liked it as a kid. Like,
1: I haven't like seen these... it. I haven't seen it
0: in 20 years, but I liked it as a kid. Like you said, it takes it takes the idea of like uh, uh, some uh, someone rising in like uh, out of prohibition to like join the mob and and essentially like take the the country's you know prohibition against a substance and use it as as a way to uh, create a criminal empire and profit from it and and the movie is sort of citing the government as the government as the ultimate fault in like creating the the uh, ability for these kind of lawless like empires to spring up. Um, It's a great idea, I think. Yeah. Oliver Stone saw the movie and he goes, not a very good movie. Uh, And, but he, he was, he didn't like it. And he, they they kind of were like, well, you can make it about today instead of like pro, you know, because originally they were actually talking about remaking like a period piece. And he's like, but why don't instead you take that concept and he's like, well, I could make it about today and and have a commentary against the existing president who was Reagan at the time. And that he liked quite a lot, which uh, might be a big shocker to Oliver Stonehead that, like, oh, I could talk about the way our country has treated immigrants and talk about the failure of prohibition under Reagan and the drug trade and kind of tell a similar story under that. And that he was very, uh, into, uh, to be able to do. So, um, that's, that's kind of, that's to your point, why they kind of switched it into this story. Now, I think that's, I think it's probably a good move to tell a more contemporary story. Obviously something that I think fits better with both De Palma and Oliver Stone's aesthetic, both who made like, you know, 80s Vietnam War movies. Oliver Stone goes on to, uh, no, he had directed Salvador, I think, at this point. Uh, and then, but his next movie after this that he directed his, uh, w- was Platoon in 86. So he kind of has a pretty big upward trajectory from here on out. Uh, I think the one big mistake they made, though, in that concept, which sounds really good on paper, is casting Al Pacino and making him do a Very hard to get over for a three hour movie. Incredibly racist accent. It is a,
1: it is a, such a broad caricature of Cubans that like, it has taken over in the cultural memory as like, this is what Cubans are. Hot headed fiery obsessed with drugs, violent at any turn they are they have uh, broken you English say on after the,
0: every sentence yeah It's like, uh, kind of like cultural uh language stereotypical uh you know <sighs> offensive like it it feels like it all originates it probably doesn't originate here, but he's incorporating all of that into. It's performance. I said it was... You know like how Cuban. hard it is to not just
1: do this accent? Because it's like... I'm trying very hard. I'm trying so, it, so, so, I'm trying so hard. Because like it is like... It, everyone knows what it sounds like, right? But like, yeah. it is genuinely funny at times when you're like, Al Pacino thinks he nailed the Cuban accent in this line. And it's basically unintelligible. Um, it is...
0: Well, so you... Um, we, You and I both are big fans of everything is terrible. And there's an everything is terrible... Uh, If you don't know about that, it basically takes collections of old VHS clips and assembles them into a theme. So there's a a uh, hip-hop compilation movie that kind of takes all of, like, the white appropriation of of rap into, like, you know, uh, Kathy Lee Gifford has a rap and, like, all the other different things and, like, puts it into this, like, this thing. And they have a thing on uh, 80s stand-up comedy and, like, how... All of these comics were – like they kind of stitch it all together. We're doing all the same black jokes, all the same jokes about gay people, all the same jokes about women and like how incredibly lazy and offensive and it just kind of kind of tells the story through that. And like I felt like I was watching that Everything is Terrible compilation because the accent is every like Howie Mandel – Robin Williams, like all those fucking lazy ass accents that are done with no like they're not meant to be good. They're not meant to like portray a character. It's just a a lazy accent for jokes in a time when our our overall cultural standards for like racist accents was uh, low, very low. And then to see Al Pacino do the same voice for three hours in this prestige movie by one of our greater actors is bizarre. And. There's a lot of brownface in this movie, it's not that the brownface is not, like, hard to get over, but I think the thing is, is, like, I'm sure when I was watching West Side Story, there were people doing incredibly <laughs> offensive I, – I know a lot of people were in brownface, and they're doing some offensive, like – uh, you know, Puerto Rican or this kind of Hispanic accent. Here's the big difference. And again, this is a different saying it's a difference. It's, it's not a difference for like how offensive it is or how much you have to kind of overlook. It. I don't I'm not trying to put degrees to the racism, but for watching this in a way that is like, can I get through this movie? It is we know what Al Pacino sounds like. Yeah. Right. I don't know what the like that doesn't make it okay, but I don't know what this other guy sounds like. So he might be doing a shitty accent. I don't know what his real accent is. I don't know what his normal voice is. It is so clear to anyone who never see Al Pacino movie that this is not how he talks and what accent he is doing throughout the entire movie. And it's like that time. And I think that that does have a very like in your face level of like what you need to like put to the side to get through a movie. I I told you the story before Peter of – I was um, doing an audio – I was reading an audio book on the war between Sega and Nintendo and there's – it was a white guy who was reading the audiobook, and every time there was an, uh, <laughs> an Asian character, which is a lot uh, – or Japanese character. <laughs> in character, the history of video games, these, there's a lot of Japanese real, men. These real, yeah, these are real people that would have a quote. He would do – an Asian, an offensive Asian accent. Um, and part of that was so distracting because like, I know what you sound like. You just said, this <laughs> previously, and now you're like going into this, like, you know, Stephen Colbert in 2006, doing his like purposefully offensive right, wrong or otherwise accent. It was like, so jarring. It was like, I literally like, I'm not paying attention to anything you're saying. I am just, I am focused on how fucking over the top racism and wondering how this is allowed. That was how it felt for the first hour of this movie. It was like.
1: It really doesn't not, help you identify with Tony Montana and any human level. I'm not paying level.
0: attention to what you're saying. I'm not, like, it took me a little bit to get used to, like, t- to kind of get, like, you know, uh, cognitive dissonance into accepting that this is how the character speaks because that first hour is like, I'm not paying attention to you as a character at all. I'm like, how are you doing this? Why no, this is not. It's not good. It's no not like sound like it's. It's. It's very jarring. So there's there's a few things going on here, right? Like
1: that. I think to like add a little nuance here, but first saying that I think his accent is offensive and distracting, and it drags the movie down. Yeah. Um. The first off, the movie has a good amount of his actually like Hispanic actors, very few Cuban American, but Hispanic actors. And I remember watching there's scenes with like him and like his henchmen and having conversations with this henchman. And I'm like, I can't think of that many eighties movies that have Hispanic people in it that are not played for a joke, like in a Cheech and Chong kind of way. And aren't just like mechanics with dirty overalls, right? These are like members of the the family that are trusted with responsibilities. And they're kind of operating in this outer bubble, right? All the actual Hispanic actors are operating in this outer bubble. And then in the inner bubble, apart from Manny, all of the other actors are white people pretending to be Hispanic. So, Manny is actually Cuban-American. And also just so fucking hot, dude. Manny is yeah. so hot. <laughs> it's it's un- uncomfortable in certain scenes where I'm like, like, why do they make you be so creepy in this early part? I like you later when you're nicer. Um, yeah. he, he, they're surrounded by Italian-Americans pretending to be Cuban-Americans and all having their own unique take on the voice. So Al Pacino yeah. is like, is like, Ugh! like, he's like going to like a lower register with everything. He's doing like a, like, like a thick jaw, lower lip kind of thing. Robert Loggia is just, whenever he starts yelling, he just turns into a New Yorker, which is in weir- in a weird way preferable. Um, his sister, um, Maria Menasculo? is that how you say it? Uh, Mary, is it Master Antonio? Master Antonio... Uh, Mary Elizabeth, yeah, Master Antonio, Master Antonio. Sorry, I had to. I had to look at it. To I actually, actually, know that it.
0: one from previews for Robin Hood: Prince of Thieves. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, M- uh, Mary Elizabeth Master Antonio is. Thank you, Aaron, for correcting me on an Italian name. Um, Finally, is seven um, <laughs> years. Is is Italian, and she's kind of going Romanian at times. She's like, I'm Abraham actually going is... to do, like, one brief impression. She's like, she's like, Tony!
0: <laughs> she sounds Stop. like Count Chocula. <laughs> a little bit, yeah. Well, and you have F. Murray Abraham. F. Murray like, Abraham's like... He's I'm, not doing an accent, I don't think. Like, he's got the brown face on, but he's not... I don't remember him doing it. Yeah, he'll do a lilt. It's also, it's a little hard to tell.
1: It's some, it's a little hard to tell, and I'm not, I'm not Hispanic American. Um... I have no Hispanic heritage. Um, it, I have a hard time telling in certain scenes, like, how much brown face they're caking on certain actors and, like, how many... We're just like, you're shooting in Miami and L.A. every day. Like, does F. Murray Abraham just get really tan in the summer? Like, I don't know.
0: Well, I, I definitely... Don't. Well, I think F. Murray Abraham is, like, the... And Robert Loggia are, like, the two that, like, are... I, they clearly, like, I mean, I know that they did from reading it, but, like, for Al Pacino, again, I, I'm i not I'm not saying it's okay. But I, I, if you would have told me that that's just, like, he spent a lot of time in the sun, that wouldn't be shocking to me. Now, I know that's not the case because I know they did put brownface on him.
1: <laughs> yeah, I didn't know Babe
0: specifically. Him, and Robert Loggia uh, are, like... I, those are the two that like you could tell I think more than than anyone else. Like I don't think they did anything to Mary Elizabeth Mastrantonio. Like I don't think she's wearing like face makeup. I mean, um, wearing-
1: no, they let her be they let her be very fair skinned. Um but uh yeah. Um so that that's part of the the deal is that like there's this outer circle apart from Stephen Bauer and that's his stage name. His actual name is is a Hispanic name. Uh, Stephen Bauer's actual name is Esteban e- Ernesto Echevarria Sampson. Um, mm-hmm. so he's Cuban American. Apart from him, pretty much that entire inner circle of actors is all Italian guys, uh, and yeah. girls. And that's, that's, that's troubling, right? Um, it's, they do like we're, we're, we'll we talk about it. They do various levels of offensive accent um, at various times. F. Murray Abraham early on. He's just not doing an accent. He's just kind of doing yeah. a little he'll do a little lilt on his voice. And it's not not that uh, embarrassing. Um, still should have cast Hispanic American actors, preferably be Cuban. But like this is the, this is the early 80s. Like just cast people that aren't Italians for doing an
0: offensive accent. and You're doing much better. Um, yeah. And um now and to be clear like there was a lot of criticism at the time mm-hmm. from Cuban Americans about the portrayal of of Cuban like Cuban uh Cuban Americans and Cubans by non-Cuban act- actors like there was a lot of um they the, uh they put that uh, disclaimer, like in all caps, like this is a fictional film because I think a lot of people were coming away thinking it was based on a true story just because it, you know, it's, it had it incorporates some true elements into the story and stuff like that. And so there was, it a are opens of, with archival now, footage
1: of actual immigrants coming into Miami. Yeah.
0: Now, the again, the uh, the the primarily white male reviewer. uh uh demographics at the time like which they were not outspoken about its depiction in a way that probably would have occurred like did occur a little bit later on like there's some articles in 2008 that's like oof this movie is not great <laughs> like you know it took a little bit while, but like to be clear like there were a lot of people speaking up and saying uh this is very racist and of incredibly offensive portrayal of Cubans and everything else. It's just that those people, like a lot of marginalized groups in our country, did not have the megaphone to inject it into the into the culture on a larger scale that would somewhat come later.
1: Yeah, and and like okay, so there's some like <clears throat> actory stuff that I want to just briefly acknowledge and then move on from. So Richard Dreyfus recently. um Uh, revealed himself to be a shithead where he was in an interview and they were basically talking about like inclusionary casting. And he was like, what I'll never get to play a black guy in my entire career. And I'm like, buddy, all you had to do was say nothing. And now people are going to (laughs) be like ramming this down your throat for the next like six months. You fucking idiot. He, he made a, he made a point and I understand like the, the origin of the point But it's completely blind to the culture that we live in today. So, the point that he's making is, like, the idea is, like, when you're an actor, you're becoming someone else. And that, like, you weren't a poor farmer from rural Nebraska but you know you get your head into that role you inhabit the character that the script asks you to do and that's who you become right like that's that's part of the acting process is becoming someone else but obviously there's broader cultural concerns there when you're you're being cast improperly right like um when there's a problem getting hispanic faces on film particularly good depictions of cuban americans or even negative depiction of cuban americans let's be honest yeah like um when, when you're having representation issues in film, it's obviously something that we have to fix by starting with good casting, right? Like, yeah, um, it, it needn't be experimental theater for the, the Al Pacino
0: voices creating it, Richard
1: right? like, Dreyfus, J- Dustin Hoffman, like era of actors. Yeah. Like, yeah, it, 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 I get the, the sentiment behind it that, like, when you're an actor, you're becoming someone else, yada, yada, yada. But like. Ignoring the entire cultural context around that is very silly. Like, I just want to acknowledge yeah, that. I mean,
0: you have, you have white guys writing the story, directing the story, producing the story about Cuban criminals. It obviously is going to potentially be – like, it's not like you shouldn't tell a story about – this, but it is it is not doing it for it from yeah. uh, any sort of uh, uh, you know cultural per, cultural perspective that anyone creating the movie or acting in the movie has, and I will say so. Oliver Stone commented about it. he has a book, uh, the Oliver Stone Experience, uh, which one of our former guests contributed uh, to as well, and he was asked about that, and this is his quote worth noting. <laughs> well, Tony Montana was a gangster. His mother and his sister represent the clean cut Cuban community. And his mother scolds him. You're a scumbag. Get out of my house. You're ruining your sister. So there is a strong morality in the movie. I knew about some of the criticisms in advance. that Cubans were not like that, but I'm sorry. A lot of Cubans did become Marielitos. <laughs> if I'd done it about Colombians, they would have said the same thing. You're anti-Colombian. So I don't think Oliver Stone shocking. I know. <laughs> if
1: I had been racist against another group of people, <laughs> they would have been, been like you're being racist. Against that
0: group. But like the weird thing of like. Missing the point around, I'm sorry, but some of Cubans did become criminals. Check and (laughs) (laughs) miss. So funny. Unless unless Cubans did, unless there was no example of a Cuban criminal. Uh, Your criticisms are invalid. Uh, (laughs) I found one Cuban criminal.
1: Therefore, me depicting Cubans for the next, like me creating a cultural context where Cubans are thought of as as, um, short- short-fused, loud-mouthed people with a machine gun that's essentially their height uh, is... Yeah, yeah, I have no... My hands are clean. What if I had been making fun of Colombians? (laughs) Like... Like, Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, so... uh, You can actually see on the pages of the book him wiping his hands with the
0: pages. (laughs) I mean, that is the same logic that is like... Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, what do you mean? The police shouldn't have killed that person. He once was arrested for marijuana possession. Clearly, a criminal check and mate, sir. It, like, yeah, yeah. It is. It is so. It is so beyond silly. But if again, if you're if you're looking for any sort of um, later on uh, awakening of the people that made this movie, that maybe it was culturally uh, they were bereft of 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 uh, loud cultural criticism from anyone that's not marginalized voices from when they released the movie at the time that they had uh, come around to it, the answer very much appears to be, uh, no. They are uh, very proud of their work. Yeah. And yeah. Don't care. And let me let me
1: also just like jump on a point I was making earlier, just to like wrap that up. Because like I in in some sort of academic sense, I believe that um you know, you should be able to act and inhabit a, a a a person that's not you, and you. And acting can be a way to, for you to expand your humanity, and and yada yada. Like, I I do believe in that hoity toity acting shit. That acting can be like a, a way to build sympathy between people and make people understand the other ways that people live. Um, that argument I think would be a lot more sound, um, if the character wasn't um a loud-mouthed rapist.
0: <laughs> who wanted to have sex with his sister and shot everyone for looking at him the wrong way.
1: Yeah, and who, is, and who is greedy on a level that, like, I think even Donald Trump would be like, fucking cool at Tony. <laughs> like,
0: Yeah, well, that I mean, that is, he wanted to rule the world and he wanted, I mean, again, as an aesthetic, especially one that aligns with, like, you know... a a portrayal of like we're you know that that makes sense for like music groups in general right like we're taking over like that's song titles like we're coming to your neighborhood we're taking over like you know the breaks over the tape whatever it is like that's a fallout boy song not 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 a uh uh you know something like that but um yeah it is it is uh it's it's not great um okay i mean it's. I, I think it's good to have the conversation. It didn't, it didn't, it's not like you should not watch it, but I'm just saying, like, if it is it is actually a tough watch just because you have to get used to, you know? It's like if you're watching a Robin Williams movie where he does one of his stupid voices for the first three goddamn hours, you're like, oh, my God, bud. Your Middle Eastern guy is not a good basis for a three-hour movie. Um, yeah, yeah. It's a lot. And here's what was really funny, though, is like um, this is this is the first of a lot of people. Like, have we done a De Palma movie before?
1: Uh, We did. We
0: did Phantom of the Paradise. We
1: did Phantom of the Paradise. We've never done done Carrie. We've never done done Carrie. We've never done Blowout. Really quickly, like while we're talking about that, like I just I think De Palma has made like five perfect movies. Yep. And then a lot of garbage around it, like
0: five perfect movies. Um yeah, I, blowout I, Phantom of the Paradise. Oh no, we did Mission to Mars too. Oh, we so did this Mission is our to Mars. Palma movie. We uh, did that as a little bit of a joke. That is one of the that is still one of the worst movies I've ever seen. Yeah, the movie um, sucks so bad. Um and we
1: did we did not do we haven't done Untouchables, which I also think is a just a tremendous movie. It's a movie that like has Hey, that's that's an example of something. Uh Sean Connery is trying to do another culture's accent, but he's doing another white culture's accent. It's fine. It's funny. It's cool. It's like in he's Highlander, little, where I like all he's the still doing a Scottish accent in that movie. <sighs> he's supposed to be Irish, right? So he's doing—he's an Irish guy, or he's a Scottish guy oh, doing yeah, an Irish a... accent. So he just sounds like he has a really weird. Scot... weird it sounds he's like, like he's imitating it, yeah. a Scott Scottish person. Yeah,
0: uh, yeah you could do that. That's the uh, Chicago way. Yeah. Yeah, I think Blowout and Carrie, Phantom of the Paradise Sisters, The Untouchables. Um the Raising Cane director's cut is amazing. Carlito's Way is amazing. I would love to cover Carlito's Way. Uh, Mission Impossible, I the first Mission Impossible is fucking fantastic.
1: It's so, it's it's like you you think it'd be like um too primitive based on like the other movies, but like it's like simplicity is so beautiful, like
0: yeah, I mean I think Dress to Kill and Body Double are both good movies with a lot a lot of asterisks that I would
1: put on them. But I like, hate uh, Body Double and not just because I'm a woke uh, uh woke uh, soft brained lib. Um
0: <laughs> I hate body I, double. I mean I so I, I And Dress to Kill it's, it's, Dress to Kill is is, is not great. I like Body Double. I don't like as much as all those other movies. I do think, like, Dress to Kill is a movie I have no interest in ever seeing again, and like, I understand, but like, as a De Palma take on Hitchcock, which was always his thing, like, I think it's a, I think it's a well-directed, taught, surprising thriller. It's just, its surprise is incredibly <laughs> offensive. Like, I imagine it would be like if I watched the, cry- I saw the crying game in high school. I imagine if I watched the crying game today, I don't know. I don't know what I would think about it, honestly. But uh, again, the the twists in those movies are not great from for a few different reasons. But um, uh, and maybe I'm wrong about the Crying Game. I guess I, no one talks about the Crying Game anymore, Peter.
1: It was a it was a like delicate like it like indie British thriller romance movie. That got picked like up the by the I culture saw. as a as a as a, joke. as a transphobic joke meme. I have not seen it in a with like clean eyes ever. I don't know. I don't know what. I would rather just read a trans person's take on the crying yeah, game. To be yeah, I
0: guess I, that's why I'm kind of backing away because I'm like, oh, I I actually don't know what the cultural conversation of the crying game is, and but it's it's, it's I think it's more positive maybe than dressed to kill, but uh, I I would I'd be interested in reading uh, um, a analysis of that movie. like did
1: the culture make it offensive or is the movie offensive? I don't actually remember. Yeah. Like I, I I couldn't say fairly, so I kind of have to leave that alone.
0: Yeah, and like even I like Femme Fatale. I think that's a fun little twisty movie. I haven't seen it for probably twenty years, but I remember really liking yes. it at the time it came out. Um, it's definitely so, not in like
1: the passion range where I'm like. Oh, this is fucking horrid. It's not in the yeah, mission I mean, to Mars I, range where I'm like, please I've, stop.
0: Uh, I've heard. Have I heard? I still haven't seen. There's, I haven't seen casualties of war, which I've always wanted. Uh, I have. It's
1: um. it's a little it's a little overwrought for the subject matter. But um, you have Sean Penn in a De Palma movie. Like, of course, it's going to be overwrought. I
0: remember mostly liking it. And Michael J. Fox playing very much unlike any. That's honestly, besides the De Palma connection, I'm very curious about that part.
1: I would have to watch it again, but I remember him being good in it. But yeah, Casualties of War, I would put on like the top half of De Palma's uh, filmography, as opposed to like the bottom half with Mission of Mars.
0: I mean, the other thing is that we haven't done a a Stone movie, and there's a lot of Stone movies I really love. But even before this, I mean, he directed or he wrote Scarface. He had already won Academy Award. He won Academy Award for writing Midnight Express in the 70s. It's a good movie. Um, And then he wrote Conan the Barbarian uh, as well. Really? Or he's one one of the writers with John Sayles. Yeah.
1: I knew John Sales wrote on Conan the Barbarian. I had no idea Oliver Stone was a writer on that. That movie yep, fucking uh, rules.
0: Yeah, it, it does rule. And then what's funny is that I had this, I had this memory of so many of like I, I thought Stone was like a De Palma who started making these movies that like no one's ever heard of and no one has seen like in the in the two thousand tens and stuff like that. But I was looking over his filmography and like. He's definitely made some not-so-good movies, but he basically was still making generally bigish movies that, like, got big releases. Like, you know, post – I think the last, like, movie that everyone agrees is – well, I haven't seen it in a long time, but I think people agree at least it, it made money at the box office. It was good. You know, he's – which was Any Given Sunday in 99. Like – then he does Alexander, which no one liked but was a huge movie. World Trade Center, which no one liked but was a huge like a huge box office and and uh, budget. W, which no one liked, but also, you know, had tons of actors and was a big thing. The sequel to Wall Street, which was kind of a big thing. Um, and I think and Savages, I think
1: W made money too, right? It was like a cultural yeah, I think, I think touch point for a few money. years.
0: I, I think the Wall Street sequel made money, and then Savages, which people I remember that was kind of like Criti- I never watched it, but critics liked it. And then his last like narrative movie was Snowden in twenty fifteen. So he really hasn't done all that much. And even though I think most of those movies don't aren't very good, or at least the ones that I've seen, like he was still working with prob you know, big studios making somewhat big movies. But I would love to go back, like the my my stone I uh I hate hate natural born killers. I really like that movie. Um, or I really liked that movie last time I saw it. I saw it when I was in high school, and I, f- I immediately hated it. Which last time I
1: watched it was it. in college, and I liked it. I I couldn't defend it now, but
0: I I just like I watched it at a time where I was primed to like it, and I did not care for it. But I um I love Platoon, um and more importantly, my his two favorite movies. I, JFK is probably one of my top twenty five favorite movies, and I love Nixon as well.
1: I haven't seen Nixon or uh we didn't we didn't touch on it for a little bit but uh salvador i haven't seen that in um salvador. salvador and nixon i haven't seen since i was i was um i was in high school i would love to revisit them i've seen jfk probably five to ten times and i love that movie even though i i'd love to cover it because it's like a hundred percent full of shit it's it's like it's like a lying ass liar movie <laughs> like the 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 amount of shit that he just like completely makes up for that. And then at some point, like, I can't believe that one of the plot points is that there's a gay mafia and it shows Joe Pesci and Tommy Lee Jones violently making out and fucking. And it like, there wasn't like, audiences across America were laughing their ass off in the theater. Like, this is not, um, this is like, (laughs) not a, uh. Not, not a, a movie with a – like, it, you have to kind of put it in, a like, a neat little bubble. But when you put it in that neat little bubble, it's, like, incredibly directed. The performances are almost all uniformly yeah, it, great.
0: Yeah. It is, like – the what it's doing from a directing standpoint is up there with, like, some of the stuff that Spike Lee was doing with, like, um, Do the Right Thing and stuff like that of, like, just using these different editing techniques. Like, throwing everything at the screen to kind of tell your – to, to tell your story and – um but like Roger Ebert called – like I think Roger Ebert called it the best movie of 1993. He may have called it the best movie of the 90s and he's like, this is all nonsense. But it's portrayal of nonsense. If you think of this as like a – as a anti-nonfiction movie, a movie that tells a completely bullshit You know, movie based on uh, an actual thing, but tells it in a way like as long as you have the cultural context to understand like, hey, this is what people believe. Like every – the thing about that movie is that it is a nonfiction depiction of real conspiracy theories that people have believed about JFK and I think it works – Like, this wasn't Oliver Stone's intention, obviously, but I think if you remove him from the equation, it works as an amazing look at the way that one single event, you know, can have 30 different uh, things that a conspiracy of this can weave together as all part of the same story or jump from one to another unrelated. And, like, if you look at it like the birth of a conspiracy and a nonfiction depiction of what people have believed about this very, like, sad probably very singular event with one person committing a crime and stuff like that like it, that If you look at it from that perspective, it is an amazing movie and amazing narrative. The thing is, like, so many people walked out of that movie and were like, you know, JFK Conspiracies, like, shot up precipitously after that movie because it was a big hit, nominated for Best Picture. And people are like, well, some of that might be true. <laughs> like, And if you if you look at it from that perspective, it's obviously, like, it's a bunch of nonsense. But if you look at it, like, this is an amazing retelling of, like, how conspiracies infect and go anywhere, and don't need to connect, and don't need to make sense, and told in like one of the most viscerally exciting directed ways ever, with an amazing, with yeah, an amazing cast. Like it's it's a great goddamn movie. Yeah, couldn't couldn't agree
1: more. Like the um the that's a movie I'd love to cover on the show because it, yeah. it is just so it is just so like compelling. Every moment you get like more and more dragged down that rabbit hole. And then like, when you pop your head up for air, you're like, oh, this is, this is, this is nothing. Like, I'm, I'm subterranean at this point. Like, I I, I don't even know what the cardinal directions are at this point. But like, you, you stay down in that rabbit hole and you're just like, this is like a compelling movie. And it'd be very interesting to talk about it in like the context of conspiracy theories and like doing a month of conspiracy theories because like, there's got to be some, some other movies we we could talk about that.
0: Or we could do, like, the double video cassette 90s biopic and do, like, Malcolm X, um, uh, JFK, uh, Nixon. And I'm sure there's like, one other one we could do in there.
1: But, yeah. um, So, yeah. The funny thing is, like, there's a lot of Oliver Stone projects that he's associated with directing or writing that I um, have, like, a great degree of love and appreciation for. And then he's absolutely a guy who has made some art that, like, I can't fucking stand. Like, he is, he, it's not what's, merely what's that he made some, what's like.
0: What's can't stand? Like, I, I hate natural born killers, as I noted. Like, what's your other, like, can't stand? Um, <laughs> The the Doors, I mean, bi- the doors biopic. Um, I've never seen The Doors, because everyone says it's terrible. <laughs> yeah,
1: The Doors biopic. I just really, I don't like Jim Morrison. Um, you say bi-
0: biopic? Oh, well, it's it's biopic. It, bio? It's biopic. Okay. Well, I, I've heard both, which is interesting because I always thought it was biopic. But.
1: It's one of those things when you read a word a thousand times before yeah. you ever hear it out loud. Um, I, I no, I totally get it. Yeah, yeah. I I I'm could the, not I'm make a poster it through, child for that. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't make it through Alexander. Um, I, didn't even, I didn't even bother with that one. Yeah, yeah. I like. I don't think Wall Street actually accomplishes the goal it wants to accomplish. Like, I think Wall Street is one of those movies that, like, <laughs>
0: it makes... You're a boiler room head.
1: <laughs> big boiler room guy. I just don't think it doesn't... It, it, I don't think it accomplishes the goal that it wants to accomplish, which is to, like, make I, all... I saw, I saw it once. Make all this, this shit actually sickening. And, like, I don't think it's criticisms particularly. And I don't hate Platoon, but I don't like Platoon. Um, and, I don't
0: like uh, Born of uh, the Fourth of July, but I, I like Platoon. Yeah.
1: Um, but I do, there's two, like, there's movies in here that, like, I forgot that he was associated with. Like, obviously, like, Conan the Barbarian rules. I don't associate him as the main writer, obviously. Um, I do really like Year of the Dragon.
0: I haven't seen it. I know people very much do not like that
1: movie. I like Year of the Dragon. Um, that's a that's a really fun, um like a Chinese crime crime movie. Um, and it's ridiculous and huge and it has some offensive shit in it, but it's like really, it's a really cool movie. Um, but yeah, like he's, that's, he, all,
0: that's the last like Michael Cimino movie, right?
1: Yeah. It's the last like real one. Yeah. And then, okay. So like Oliver Stone at some point in his career. Yeah. He start he, he, you know, he never quite gave up the dream. He never like, I'm just going to make shitty action movies to like pay the bills. He yeah. never quite gave up the dream. Like, he was making, like, politically focused movies, movies with budgets and real cast up until, you know.
0: I mean, his last one was Snowden with Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Yeah. Right? Re- real cast, real yeah, characters. He did, he did become, like, a, he became a WikiLeaks, like, Alex Jones type, like, person, which we've talked about on the show not to rehash, but that that sometimes is, like, the fate of, like... These like '70s and '80s leftists really became like whipped around and got went to the other end many times. And like again, there's there's one thing to distrust the government, which is a good instinct, and there's another thing to think the government is turning the frogs gay. Yes, it's part of a master <laughs> mass, massive conspiracy. And, and I think a lot of that, like we
1: talked about it before, but like there's probably a better context for this because this movie we have to talk about Scarface. Yeah, the. I think it's just it's lonely when you're out there in the in the conspiracy boondocks and like if you find someone that is willing to listen to you and put you on the radio all of a sudden you're like what else is this Alex Jones type guy saying and then all of a sudden you're like you're like brushing off Castro's like human rights violations like yeah I'm willing to I'm willing to do the thing where I'm like yeah like. Cuba has a lot of great socialist programs, and they've beaten a yeah. lot of issues that we haven't beaten here. But like, let's not pretend like Castro didn't torture and kill people like willy nilly. Like let let's, let's not like brush got, under the rug a lot human of rights authoritarian violations. Authoritarianism
0: masquerading as communism.
1: I also agree that we should not have sanctions on a country, especially a country as tiny as Cuba. Um, These are all not just classic car heads. The reason they don't have access to this stuff is because, you know, sanctions. Um, Especially now that, like, we're dealing with a different government than we were dealing with in the 60s. Um, Like, there's a great amount of evil was committed by the State Department against Cuba, right? But, like
0: yeah we've we've done a lot of shitty things too. so yeah
1: so. but like it, it, but like Oliver Stone brushing under the rug uh, human rights violations of Castro because like he was like it's a it's a socialist country that held on. It's like, yeah, buddy, we can do better yeah. The the story here is yeah. still anti-capitalist, but the story does not involve praising North Korea or whatever you want to do there next
0: a book is there a book about like the Glenn Greenwalds and the Oliver Stones. Like I would read that book to kind of track, like I think a lot of it comes down to this is such a can of worms is like they're all also like that kind of like uh thing that we've talked about with Bill Maher, like that uh 90s and 2000s liberal, like anti-woman racist, like streak that runs through them is also like, I think similar in Oliver Stone and like Gr- Glenn Greenwald and some of these other like, uh, Matt Taibbi type uh, leftists who like somehow like circled around and became like not you know kind of uh, quad like leftists in name only supporting fascist programs and thinking that they're still leftists.
1: They, like they're like I you know I voted for uh, Obama however
0: yeah like yeah I, I'd be uh, I'd be very interested to read a good article or something like that about like what the fuck. <laughs> Into some of to some of these people. But, anyways, I we just don't think, have time to talk about that. Yeah, yeah. We, we have to find out what happens, which we already talked about. Uh, he dies in a hail of gunfire. But let's talk about how he got to that point that he's dying in a hail of gunfire. Peter, you want to talk more about, in the whitest voice that I can, Scarface? <laughs> I'm Tony Montana. You're fucking with me. You're fucking with the best. <laughs> this whole town's a pussy just waiting to get. <laughs> <laughs> it's just waiting. All right, bro? It's just waiting. <laughs> All right. so before, actually before we get into the movie's plot specifically, I do want to note that this movie was originally rated X. And at the time it came out, it was lambasted by many critics for its violent content. Did Paul end up tre- uh, trimming 30 seconds of a few parts to get an R rate R rating? Because at the time, the X had transitioned from like, oh, it's Midnight Cowboy to just being associated with pornography and they were not interested in releasing it. Here's what's funny about this movie. This movie could maybe almost be PG-13 today. <laughs> like, I've seen... Like, it's not actually that tame, but it is... It is uh, It is definitely... The, the overall level of violence, I think, has been trimmed down. There are some gruesome scenes. I'm not trying to say it, it wouldn't necessarily be affecting for certain viewers. But the idea that, like... With all the movies I've seen get R ratings for violence, the idea that this would get an X rating is, is somewhat feels a little bit quaint. And then the other thing I want to note is that the all these critics were like, it's too violent, it's too over the top, something like that. Roger Ebert, who probably was like, a, is, is a critic that I love more than any other critic, like a lot of people in my age group his biggest thing is, like, if something was violent, he fucking hated it. He he would usually be the first person to be like, I don't like that horror movie. It's too violent. I don't like this. It's too violent. I don't... There's too much punching, too much violence in this. And he was like, four stars, great movie. He's like, for some reason, like, and again, you can say, I understand the criticism that Roger Ebert thought that, like, there's a lot of senseless violence that's done to shock, not in spirit with the story. And he thought that this one applied, But it's... It's such a weird break from – he was usually the the biggest finger-wagger finger when it came to violence. And at a time when most of his contemporary critics were like, this is fucking gruesome and and disgusting and over-the-top, which is all, all – criticism that De Palma got a lot. He was the person who was like, no, 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 this one I like quite a bit. Yeah, I, I,
1: I do think that this is a movie where um, – OK, so – Let's take the cha- let's separate out and quarantine the chainsaw scene briefly. Yeah. Everything else, all the shootings, pretty much all of them um are like low blood if there are squibs, they're very minimal. Like most of the shooting in the movie is as cartoonish as Commando, right? This yeah. is not the sort of movie where it's like every gunshot hurts to look at like
0: like in in a yeah, Scor- I'm pretty sure I saw the ending scene on VH1 without edits maybe like a little graphic over one part or another but yeah
1: it's uh it's a score like a scorsese movie like every gunshot hurts to look at right it's like yeah. there's there's gash wounds and all that this is not one of those movies this is not one of those movies where rick baker came in and did special uh special uh you know um, brain squibs or nice. whatever I don't I I I don't know if the cut that I saw as a kid was the X cut or whatever, right? Like I don't know. But I remember as a kid feeling this sense of just constant violence and this constant sort of like forward momentum. And that it was like emotionally disturbing. Um but apart from the chainsaw scene, which I've kind of parked off, I feel like the movie doesn't um, it feels violent, but like what's actually being depicted in like a literal sense is like. A pretty typical '80s action movie, right? Like, I think Commando is probably more disturbing than than oh, this. Yeah. It's just that Commando has a light tone, and this has Those this. Paul
0: Verhoeven movies, which also almost got X's. So yeah, 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 yeah. Uniformly, but yeah,
1: yeah. Like, but like, yeah. Commando, Paul Verhoeven movies—they all have a specific tone that's like sillier and lighter, which I think allows them to go down smoother. And this is a darker tone, which makes like certain stuff, you know, whatever. But like the final, the final shootout in this movie. As you, as you, you've noted, like, if you watch it out of context, or you just, you're, you are know, flipping through channels, you're not paying too close of attention to what's happening to Tony, you could very easily just be like, or you're watching a TV edit where she's saying, where she's saying, you know, you want to fuck me, Tony? And they just edit, it like, you want me, Tony? You want me? Like, you could, you could probably watch a TV edit of this where you don't pick up on the incest vibes as much. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, um, the the violence is like pretty clean. Like there's a lot of a lot of people get shot in this movie with absolutely no drops of blood. It's just people falling yeah. over, and then the camera immediately moves away from them. Yeah,
0: big explosions. Like there's the uh, the the restaurant scene where the shootout happens, or the at the club where like tables are falling over. And again, De Palma's a really good director. Like he's flashy, and he makes you feel, you know. Uh, makes it feel very visceral. So that sometimes implies more violence than is actually being, like, depicted on screen. Like, one of the obvious, you know, both Texas Chainsaw Massacre and Halloween are great examples of there's fucking no blood on scene and everyone remembers those being gory-ass movies because of how, like, uh, effective the violence is being depicted on screen. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And, um the 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 chainsaw scene i think is something separate because the chainsaw scene is actually like it's more appropriate to text chainsaw massacre where like they are cutting away from like actual gore gore but in your brain you remember it being hideously violent i mean that's the psycho effect right like You never actually see a knife like cutting open her, but you see the knife moving. You see her holding a wound like you never you never actually see nudity. You very rarely see like there being a direct connection between like the knife and her body. But like it has such a, a, a it feels so much more violent because of the way it's edited and the way that it's shot. And I think that's what the the chainsaw scene lingers in people's memories as being particularly violent and I still think it's very disturbing. Um yeah. and yet um <laughs> you know <laughs> like there's no they didn't hire uh one of the horror movie guys to come in and make yeah. make fake limbs and have like a fake torso instead it was like on 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 hell just kind of exits the movie.
0: Yeah. Yeah, uh one thing too just so that no uh fact checkers get me so uh, so he did it was rated X he did cut about 30 seconds and he appealed it and he was it was overturned it was given an R rating the you know the having a big studio like Universal behind you helps with things like that. Has anyone ever seen this film is not yet rated? knows um, De Palma thought the edits were so minor that if he released the x-rated cut, uh, no one would notice, and that is what he did. So, actually, the version that we have is not the 30-second edited version because he released... He he trimmed it, he won it on appeal, and then he went and released the version that had been rated X to begin with. Per-
1: under the R- I, I didn't know that. I didn't know that. I only read the first yeah. the first notable fact. Um, it's good to know. So, okay, really quickly, before we get into the movie, yeah, let's go through I it. have, really quickly, I have a little bit of backstory here that I didn't get to okay. in the first part. Um, So, My parents, because I was the fourth of four kids and I had a basement in the Midwest and I was a movie kid, my parents basically didn't know what I was watching. You were the
0: people that I wanted to be friends with. Yes. The one whose parents have tuned out. There's a basement with a TV. They have a lot of movies. That's why I was friends yeah. with them. It's shocking that we became friends. Yeah,
1: exactly. <laughs> it's 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 a mutually beneficial agreement. And now you have a very nice basement, and I live in Southern California without a basement. You know how the tables yeah. have turned. Um,
0: but uh, just to prove you're not the Zodiac.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's actually it's it's for that point. Um, but this is a movie that. Okay, so. There was a brief period of time where my parents were concerned about violence because it was in TV and Hillary Clinton said, don't let your kids play Grand Theft Auto. My parents tried to keep me from getting GTA Vice City. To your parents? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know, man. Um and
0: chicago politics
1: i don't know oh, i don't know why door. i don't know why they gave a shit for like a 18 month period and then proceeded to not give a shit for Wait, was it
0: what movie did they take out of the dvd player and say okay hey, okay, okay. there was something else
1: it? later i'll get to that in a okay. moment i'll get to that in a moment okay. <laughs> all right so there's very few very few movies have ever been taken away from me by my parents are told i wasn't allowed to watch um my mom let me watch clockwork orange because she was like well you read the book so You've already basically seen it. it was it's like, educational. Yeah. Um, she just wanted me to I don't to want read. you
0: to picture the nudity on your own. Like <laughs> your <little brain.
1: laughs> well, well, I went to Catholic school. So, like, that's as close as I got to sex ed, right? Um, horrifying thought. Um, But uh, what was I wasn't going to say. Oh, so my parents, and this is very funny timing. My parents were very concerned about Vice City. And then all of us, as, as probably as an "I love the '80s" kind of thing, all of us got very into '80s music and '80s like uh, movies. Yeah. And so I was like, I want to see Scarface because Scarface is essentially like, I'm going to say 30 percent of like, Vice City. City. Yeah, 100 percent. Like it's it's uh, you you live in the mansion from Scarface. You yeah. have a big shootout in the mansion at the end with like the big machine gun, like. The plot very much kind of follows like a Scarface style plot in a fake version of Miami. Um, and so my parents try to keep that for me on PlayStation 2. And then, I got a copy of Scarface on DVD and my dad and mom took it from me because they were like so concerned about violence. They're like, we can't, you can't have that. And So, if there was a period of time where I wasn't allowed to have Vice City and I wasn't allowed to have Scarface, but I knew exactly where they kept them. So, after they went to bed, I would just pull them both down and I watched Scarface a bunch in junior high with my friends and then I watched and then I played Vice City every single weekend. Yeah. Um, and it was just a very funny timing that I had this package of 80s access that, like, I wasn't allowed to have. But I, I in a very Tony Montana kind of way, I knew my way around the system. Yeah. <laughs> and then later, my, the only other movie my parents ever took for me as an, as an epilogue to that was I fell asleep one day in the basement in the summer. And I was watching a Takashi Miki movie um, called Shinjuku Triad Society. And two people were having like violent sex, and she was like bleeding from the mouth because I think he had like hit her in the face or something. And my mom's was like, What are you watching? I was like, I don't, I was asleep. So actually, you're making me watch this.
0: <laughs> I, I, I literally fainted from how how off I hated it so much, my body shut down. <laughs> are you waking me up to watch it. This is me shaking my head and <laughs> Oof. not okay at all
1: <laughs> and i and i didn't want to tell her i was like this is actually like not as bad as ichi the killer but okay okay
0: i've t- my parents were i was much better about knowing that like things would get taken if there was like a via- so I was, I was really good at hiding stuff and then my my parents would still randomly take stuff like for uh, they took. Uh, we did a re- record a whole episode about how my dad took the New Radicals <laughs> CD from me and read um, the lyrics to you. Cake. He yeah, uh, read the lyrics to me. He he took a random cake CD from me once um, because he didn't like uh, sheep go to heaven, goats go to hell. Even though I think this is a line from the Bible, which you think you would know. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and I remember he took my uh, Half Life uh, PlayStation Two game at one point. What? Uh, how are you supposed I- to play the co-op adventure Decay? Well, I I mean, I think I was home for college because I didn't have a PlayStation 2 till. I think he just decided for some reason, like, I wasn't allowed to use this TV and took it. I never saw it again. I had to buy it, like, three years later. So I feel like it was just random bursts of I'm going to be a parent now as opposed to, like, some consistency against, like, I don't want you to grow up to be a cocaine boss. No Vice City. No, uh, no, Scarface. (laughs) My parents eventually figured out that like there
1: was no keeping it away from me because Charlie would just come home from college and show me Evil Dead and whatever, and I was like, yeah, it's
0: actually funnily enough, your parents had to learn the lesson of Scarface, which is that prohibition really just it doesn't work. work. (laughs) I was (laughs) there, Tony Montana. Yeah, you were. If if you want to watch scarface and or do cocaine no laws are going to stop you you're going to figure it out uh eventually and in this analogy ronald reagan occasionally drives tony
1: montana to basketball
0: practice i mean my parents thought that movies were a waste of time and clearly that worked <laughs> yeah but i think we've proven that anyway. both approaches don't work <laughs> No, you just kind of got to let your kids like what they like and like try to steer them away from dangerous things that they like. Yeah. Into less dangerous things that they like. Um okay. The uh Scarface. Uh this movie it opens with uh uh Tony Montana coming to America. Um, and he's immediately where he he kind of has uh the scene uh with the um I don't know the port authority where he kind of convinced immigration them, officials. And immigration officials, it kind of like is setting up that like at the t- so at the time he's not a criminal. He's saying he's not a criminal. As we noted earlier, he's getting released with quote unquote criminals, and we're also kind of seeing his ability to kind of push his way through through like. Um, Uh, through talking tough situations
1: it's it's honestly like in a top three scene in the movie for me largely because al pacino is doing very little of the the overall accent he's playing it very small and it's just like a tight camera shot they're not really showing the immigration officials faces at all it's just a tight camera shot of al pacino and it's a great scene like it establishes who his character is immediately um they'll show yeah exactly his his ability to fast talk and like be a little charming and then be very self-defensive and like he's playing he's playing the game right like and it's establishing very quickly that he considers this whatever went on back in the old country this is him he's a anti-communist full capitalist now that he's in America he's going to live life as a a, a a cartoonish version of an American living the American dream. Um I think the tagline for this movie is like he loved the American dream with a vengeance.
0: Um <laughs> something like yeah. that. Well I also think it's establishing something that I think is also true in In real life, that if you are adamant about something, it can convince people of your rightness, whether you're right or not, which is kind of like Tony Montana's gift is not like he's a fast talking and convinces people. He just is everything he says is delivered with such a confidence that he is right. The people like and he has no doubt anywhere what he's saying, whether he's saying I'm going to convince this crime lord to do this deal or don't worry we'll figure out he is so self-convinced and adamant in his conviction that people are like well he wouldn't be saying it if it wasn't true which is which is like why eventually his his wife like that—that's a—that's just as much of a of a move as like someone who's always like you know a, a compulsive liar, and eventually people kind of catch on to it. Like you eventually realize that person's full of shit. I just remember like um, when I was in college before I was twenty one, I had a fake ID, and I was at this bar once, and someone knew I had a fake ID and didn't like me very much, and he told the 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 bar like, "Hey, I know that guy has a fake ID," um, and the fake ID did look a lot like me. And I, they took me outside and I was like, well, how would someone, most people, I think they're like, we're not going to call the cops. We're not going to take your ID, ID. You need to go home and I'm like, well how would someone who was 21 handle this, which is what my ID said. They'd be like this is bullshit, this is not a fake ID. So I kept saying that this was me. I knew all the information on it. I asked to see the manager and eventually they let me back in. They're like I th- but cuz I think they were like, well why would this person be so adamant that this is him if it wasn't him? Uh even though the person on the ID was five inches shorter than me and other things. And like, they are like, well, I mean, he seems very convinced that this is him. And if it wasn't him, why would he be like that? That kind of like ridiculous. No, like that is Tony Montana's gift. Yeah. Yeah. You're
1: absolutely right. There's a line he says later in the movie, yeah, I'm going to do it in a perfect Italian accent. Yeah.
0: That is not I would actually just make it as white as possible. Um, yeah, it's been working. Well. I just really want to lean Italian, you know? We'll see how it goes. So, like, hey, say hello to my
1: little friend. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's, uh, I only got two things in this world my balls and my word. And I don't break them for nobody. <laughs> <laughs>
0: That's what he sounds like in the movie.
1: <laughs> he sounds like Steve Martin in My Blue Heaven. Yeah. <laughs> um,. That's uh, as close to an Italian accent as uh, he, as um, <laughs> Al Pacino gets to a Cuban accent. But that line, <laughs> that line, uh, I, I I I only got two things in this world: my balls and my word, and I'll break them for nobody. Is half right, um, because what you're saying is true. Like his balls, like his like commitment, his at, his his stubbornness, his adamant will forward, um, is is like his character and. Um, he says, "I, I don't break for nobody." And then later, he he always speaks in like aphorisms and like strong language. Later, he says, "I don't I don't fuck anybody who wasn't. Uh, I don't fuck anybody who uh, you know didn't have it coming." And it's something he's supposed to be saying that's a comforting line he, to Sosa. He says it like this: "Hey, I never fuck
0: anybody who doesn't have it. I never fucked anybody who didn't have it coming." <laughs> <laughs> what what accent <action> is that?
1: <laughs> Nebraska like, math teacher? <laughs> teacher. I'll say, I'll say, I'll say. I'll say, I'll say, I'll
0: say. This town's uh, like one big pussy just waiting to get fucked. <laughs> uh, speaking of quotes that I did, like, so I, again, have never seen this movie. I have seen basketball a hundred million times. <laughs> uh, and the, like, first you get the, first you get the money and then you get the power I didn't know that was from the, you know, the, the basketballs. First you get the money, then you get the girls, then you get the khakis. Like, I didn't know that that was from anything. Uh, so that was, that was, was, actually like the whole, this whole town's a pussy just waiting to get fucked line. Like, I know it from Jack Sparrow, the Lonely Island song. I didn't realize that is a direct line from the movie. I probably should have. I just like, I didn't didn't realize yeah there's biggie songs there's
1: like a million there's a million there's a million rap songs that have um that line in it and now it's like it's like part of it's the cool cachet of this movie right is that like hip-hop guys associated themselves with it um but like that's that's tony that's tony's deal like tony is like full of shit but he's stubborn about it and people see in him he thinks that he's being welcomed into these these two different crime worlds first lopez and later sosa um, he thinks he's being welcomed into these crime worlds, like with open arms. Like you're one of the made men now. Instead, they see him as so. Uh, Lopez calls him a peasant, um, and they see him as like a convenient animal that they can manipulate.
0: Yeah, they they say that Robert Loja is like, well, what are we going to do with this guy? And uh, someone's like, well, we can we can use him. He's very aggressive and passionate. Like, let's use him.
1: Yeah, and and like. Um, that he comes to blows with everybody because he thinks he's you know he's higher than his station or whatever and one of the only real nuanced things that i want to touch on as we we go on about this movie is that it's an immigrant story right and it's an immigrant story about how um it's not like scarface or a lot of the italian american stories of uh, gangster stories where it's like Essentially I think it's a lot like Scarface, respectfully. <laughs> well
0: the the Goodfellas? Uh it's maybe it's Godfather.
1: It's not like the Italian stories, I think, of of, okay. of the, the, the era where we where like the Italian Americans had this very specific history where cops basically like were just just corrupt and didn't treat them. Uh, well, and they kind of had to form their own protections, and that turned into organized crime, and like, there was a practical reason for these crime organizations. This movie's a little different. It's, it's specifically about exploitation of, of drug addicts, right? And partiers. Um, and like, the, but the thing that this movie touches on with immigrants is how like the exploitation of the immigrant, like, Tony comes in and he expects himself to be a full American at full American status, and his options are, busting his ass uh, at these very exploitative low-paying jobs um, where like you know that's the job his mom works where she's in her yeah. 60s and is like her hands are like you know falling apart from working this like factory job yeah. or on the flip side he pretends that he's like a made person he's like I'm not just an American I'm I'm the I'm a king in America. I own Miami and he just keeps saying it and then convincing himself saying it and convincing himself and it's this this unfortunate story of like somebody who like um because he his options are so minimal, he has to like will this godlihood into his own existence, and then the universe is like actually no, you were supposed yeah. to be exactly where we wanted you to be, and it's like. In a sense, the mo- I wish the movie really dwelled on this more because I think it's, like, an interesting elaboration of, like, how Americans use this, like, this carrot of the American dream. Um, but, like, that American dream is locked out from a lot of immigrants and people of color. And, like, Tony's like, no, I'm not locked out from anything. The entire world is fucking open to me. The world is mine. I wish the movie, like, spent a little bit more time on those sort yeah. of, like, the fact that he has, like, basically two, two pathways because, like, economic... Within this the straight and narrow, you know, white people's world, he has very little legitimate options.
0: Yeah, I I I think that's right. I think like the themes that this movie touches on about capitalism and like the immigrant story, well, um, and all those sort of you know that are that are similar to other like Italian gangster movies like. I mean, that is that is what Goodfellas is about, yep. right? Like, it is about how, like, in the 50s, Italians were not treated as white people and that the the culture wasn't there to protect them. And they were not allowed to, you know, acquire the wealth that they were promised through the American dream. So they created their own culture. Like, that could be what Scarface is about. It's barely about that. Like, it has it has, you know, a little bit of – and I think part of that is that, like, it just doesn't have – and we talked about this. Like – Tony Montana throughout the entire movie shows us what an unrelatable character is. Like you don't want him to succeed. Instead, it's kind of the story about someone who essentially like what what I kind of see it is like and I I like anyone who works in corporate America knows what this is. There's the person who is bad at his job but is flashy and yells enough that they keep getting promoted at a company and then at some point they get to the point where they're the head of the company or close to the head of a company and then at some point you just he just runs out of people to blame or throw under the bus or to you know get rid of because they're sick of dealing with their bullshit or whatever else like that and then at some point he's like telling the owner or the board of directors fuck all of you i know how to run your company better and they're just like yeah never mind uh this guy he wasn't a hot like you know, high riser person with these great ideas who had a little bit of a you know a different way of doing thing. Like he is, uh, he's a lunatic. Never mind. Like, there's all those great studies about like how sociopathic tendencies, like in America as a percentage, rises the higher you get in corporate boardrooms. Like, you know, the average American is like you know, the average American about 10% or less is like a sociopath. And if you look at like executive teams in the corporate of America, it's like 25 or 30% or something like that. Because there is that idea of like, he doesn't care about anything. He doesn't have the same respect for the kind of uh, the hierarchy of like, even though this is a criminal enterprise of that organization and that, you know, the throwing bombs and blowing up things uh, does work for a little bit. Until you get to the point that you again, your your failures are your own. You have no one else to blame, and the only person to blame is to be like, fuck you to your boss and they're just like, Okay, never mind. You're not a Wonder you're a lunatic. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's um it is it is and that's kinda of what it's about. Like fundamentally it, it like it's it I would have liked it to be a little bit more about what you said like what Goodfellas is about, but maybe for Cuban Americans. It's just it's really not about that. Yeah,
1: yeah. I mean I it's it's an allegorical movie, right? Like Oliver Stone doesn't really like write like um, realistic depictions of people, right? He he writes these like political these like political um, like rant pieces, right? About like he tries to capture like characters are symbols more than their um, actual characters, right? And like yeah. Tony is this um, this guy that grew up. Um, grew up poor, he grew up in, with some sort of complicated relationship with communism, I don't. I doubt he was uh, I, I bet you he tried to be a good communist back in Cuba, and then it, it backfired on him, and then he was like, well, I'm in prison oh, yeah. I'm gonna be the best fucking killer in prison, and then while in prison, he was like, I hate communists because communists kicked me out of Cuba and then he just, like, decided that was his moral to move forward and, like, capitalism yeah, he is
0: decided, the, and the, the opposite of a communist is a capitalist, so he says line, again, I'll do this in my in my normal Scarface accent I've been doing all episode. Mm-hmm. I kill a communist for fun, but for a green card, I'm going to carve him up real nice. <laughs> you want a little Costanza there? <laughs> I'm sorry. I, uh, even though I am a, a white person, trying to really focus on doing a white person voice mm-hmm. is, is somewhat challenging. It's – you know, I, I, I think I methodacted it most days of my life. But I'm – you know, I'm on the – yeah. I didn't have a lot of practice. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's
1: like sometimes um, performing as you is the hardest performance of all. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I – I, uh, I think that there's, there's, there's more there that could probably raise this movie into like great status for me. Cause like yeah. the excess of the movie, the, the sense of like forward propulsion, like this is a two hour and 50 minute movie. And I started it and I did the thing that I've done with other movies where I'm like, I'm going to watch like two
0: hours and go to bed. And yeah. then at- I, I thought the same thing. I ended like, well, I want to see where this goes.
1: Yeah. And in about an hour 45, the movie, fl- fl- there's kind of two halves to the movie, right? At an hour forty five, there's it's sort of Tony's rise and him taking over the organization that you know um, Robert Loge. Robert Loggia's uh, organization. He kills Lopez. Who's
0: the who's the drug dealer in Breaking Bad? Like he becomes Gustav. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. Like I mean, that's kind of what it is, right? Like he he has all these people. There's a main dealer in Colombia that he works with that that gets the stuff to America. Robert Loggia is the head of that. Over the course. Of that first hour and 45 minutes, he rises to be the main person in Miami controlling the drug trade and working with his contacts in Columbia and literally replaces Robert Loge in every way, including uh, marrying his wife.
1: Yeah, yeah. And uh, there's the – he, he, he takes this guy that was maybe going to do – so there's a scene – let's talk Let's talk a little bit as, as we go. There's a scene where Tony goes down to – he's still working for Lopez. He's still working for Robert Loge and he's there with F. Murray Abraham. And F. Murray Abraham is trying to set up the deal that Lopez yeah, agreed to—the great, to. the great one-time purchase of a certain amount of keys of Coke, right? Um. Uh, d- basically, like uh, Tony Montana has no respect for F. Murray Omar, F. Murray Abraham's character. Yeah. Um, has a bas- or Robert Loggia. or Robert Loggia, so he's like no, you're thinking too small. It's not a one-time purchase. We're going to get on a subscription model and it's going to be more cocaine that that organization has ever moved. Robert Loggia is, for as much money going through his organization, is small time. His like big exuberance is like the house, the wife, and a little league team that he's obsessed with. Yeah. Like Robert Loggia, he's like, it's not just about not being ambitious. It's like, he's like, I know exactly how big I am allowed to get without getting stomped on. I pay money to the cops. Um yep. I fund some, you know, like neighborhood projects, like this little league team and I do that. I I keep this club running and I've got my wife that hates me. Like that's 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 the the context of my life.
0: And well, and as they say there's only so big you can get because like all this money needs to be laundered to be usable. So like as – there's a scene later in the movie where Tony Montana gets so big that the bank is like, I am really having a trouble with all the money that you're trying to move through my bank and I'm going to have to up your rates for conversion to put in the place where I can do that. So like there is like a – you know, Robert Loge is in a comfortable um, upper limit, too, of, like, how easy this is to do because you can't just take the money and go live your life either.
1: Yeah, and, and like, the, he he says earlier, he's like, I've got more money than I can spend, and Tony has no reason to believe that that's wrong. He has a beautiful, like, like yep. oceanside villa yep. it, that he ends up taking over and overhauling, but, yep. like... A beautiful Oceanside Villa, and Tony has no reason to... But Tony's, like, bigger, 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 so he makes a deal with the Bolivians. There's a great scene. Oh,
0: uh, I I thought it was Colombians.
1: There's also Colombians in the movie, so Colombians are kind of... They're the people that fuck up the deal at the beginning with the chainsaw and everything, and nobody in the movie trusts Colombians, including Tony. Um, So, they're all like, let's find a way around the Colombians, and that's where the Bolivians come in. Um, so the, the, like, essentially, like, the Bolivians are like, we're going to cut out our our corner of the market. We want you to be part of it. Tony's like, Lopez doesn't like this idea. I I don't like Lopez. I'm going to go fucking get rid of him. And then uh, Lopez makes the first move, tries to assassinate Tony during what is the most baffling performance I've ever seen in any movie ever? So there's Richard Belzer doing the hackiest comedy ever committed to film. Yeah. What is that?
0: I think it's just eighties comedy, Peter. It's horrifying. And then I mean, there's a man yeah, that what's the, what's the non-hacky eighties comedy bits that you love besides George? I It's a really
1: great question. I don't. I don't know. It was not a great year for era for comedy. Um, <laughs> yeah. And then okay, and then they bring on stage a. A man in a fat suit and a rubber mask. Um, You didn't get that? And he just goes out. That was all about capital. And he slow dances and people eat this shit up. They love it. Well, they're on on a lot of cocaine. They're on a lot of cocaine. They love it. They're weeping and wailing for this beautiful, beautiful boy. He's wearing this. It's like a... It's like... It feels, it's hard to describe. It feels like it's like a racial caricature of a race that doesn't exist yet. <laughs> yeah. a thousand years, there's going to be people that look like this. I don't, I don't know.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's the same reason, like, again, uh, Martin Scorsese loved this movie. And like, was it for the filmmaking techniques? Was it for violence? Or was it like 1983 Martin Scorsese's like, I like cocaine and there's a lot of cocaine. <laughs>
1: uh, Marty likey. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yes, a police. But you get what I'm saying? Like the like, it looks like a racial yeah. caricature, but I can't fucking name what race it's a. Yeah, it's uh, it. It is bizarre. I mean, the even the bells. Yes, even the bells is uh, the bells is like at, it has adoration for the, whatever the. I'm so proud to present this fucking guy.
0: Yeah, he's the opening <laughs> act for that fucking. Act. <laughs>
1: honored to be sharing the same stage that this fucking guy is
0: going <laughs> to be. This thing. Yeah.
1: So, okay. So, uh, he tries to kill... It. But, like, Lopez gets wiped out, right? But, like, following the sort of concept as we go, like, Tony is just growing and growing and growing. And he steals, he steals his girlfriend. Let's talk about Michelle Pfeiffer in this movie a little bit because this is... This is not her, like, finest hour, and I don't blame her.
0: Yeah. Let's... Let, well, I mean... Uh, Let's talk about the Wikipedia shade that introduces her in the casting session, section, which is one of the funniest Wikipedia things I sent it to you. I was laughing so hard. So it talks about casting. Pfeiffer was an unknown actress at the time, known primarily for her role in Grease. Yeah, not nice. Is a very funny sentence. Unknown. Primarily known for a movie no one saw. Thus, she was unknown. Yeah, she's I mean, Michelle Pfeiffer is one of my favorite. Uh, actors. She's great. Love her. Uh, She's so great in everything. Um, She is not given much to do besides uh, be besides look like Debbie Harry. She is. She is. (laughs) Like, Could you look like Debbie Harry in all the uh, the scenes? Great.
1: Yeah. And she's dangerously thin in this movie. She apparently like lost a lot of weight for the role so she could sort of occupy this like 80s icon of beauty which is um, it means emaciated. Like she lost a lot of weight. Yeah. Um, Yeah and you you can't help but like Michelle Pfeiffer like she can't help but look like one of the most beautiful people on the planet like you can't dress her down um even when yeah. she's like it's funny late in the movie she's supposed to look like haggard or something and you're like yeah she just looks more relatable i guess with the bags under her eyes she still looks like like uh they made a a supermodel in a lab <laughs> And that supermodel had a long night. I don't like you can't Mm -hmm. like they can't make her look haggard. No amount of stage makeup will make her look haggard. The platonic
0: ideal of the human species is a few hours short of a good night. Yeah, exactly.
1: Like, it's it's just amazing. But she doesn't have much to do. She does not transcend the the script. She doesn't really have space to do it. And she's too early in her career to like be like, this is a tiny role, but I'm going to make a meal out of it. She doesn't. There's one really charming scene where sorry, really charming half scene. So there's a see where Tony Montana just throws himself at her before, while she's still Lopez's uh, partner. And, um, she is like, get off of me. Um, and then he takes her hat and then she actually like, cra- like breaks and like laughs at him. And like they're having a nice moment. This is apparently an ad lib scene. I think Al Pacino thought he flubbed the take, so he was just gonna he was just goofing around, and they ended up using it. This is truly the only time she smiles in the entire movie is during an outtake. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. yeah it's uh, I think Mary Elizabeth uh, Mastertonio quits herself a little bit better. She has m- she has more to do. They give her you know the ending scene and like the death of her. Husband is a little bit – is a little bit more like some meat on the bone besides just look angry and depressed. Um, so, I mean, yeah, I – she's not she's not given that much to Let, do. Let's talk a little bit about his sister. So his sister is um, played by Mary Elizabeth Macedonio. Mm-hmm. She um, go on to sh- uh, star in stuff like Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. Um, but not star in 12 monkeys. You're getting her confused with Madeline Stowe, who does, yes, look a lot like Mary Elizabeth Mastrantonio. Um, so, uh, she, she ends up kind of, there's this whole runner through that first two thirds in the movie where she, uh, kind of falls for, they mutually falls for his, uh, his right hand man. Manny. Uh, Manny. Manolo. Uh, and, uh, and and uh, Al Pacino being, like, the worst person in every capacity that you've ever met and you don't interact with is, like, not just doing the defensive brother shit. is like, aggressively derailing, like, public things and being like, fuck! Wait, hold on. I might have got a little bit too. Uh, <laughs> fuck you. Get away from her, young man. Hmm. Or whatever. Um, you young tough, stay away from my sister. Yeah. Yeah, I don't like this one bit. So he uh, yeah, so he um, he's very aggressive. And then that kind of uh, the crescendo there is that at one point, he hasn't seen his sister or, or Manny in a long time. And they're like, oh, they're hiding out here. And he goes there, opens the door, sees his sister there. This is like the very end of his downfall. We'll talk mm-hmm. about some stuff that leads up to this too. But he shoots Manny and then she's like, we just got married like yesterday it was going to be surprised what the fuck is wrong with you and then he kind of goes back to his house and then she kind of comes out and be like is it because you're in love with me like what uh, what else could provoke such a violent reaction fine go ahead and fuck me I really like, if that's really what you want. really
1: quickly so there's like two halves of this movie right there's like tony as like you know you can kind of relate to okay. him and rise and fall yeah and like there's an hour and 45 minutes like where you're like you're, you're like okay this kind of makes sense. Like, I can see... I don't think you can relate to him. But, but like, you know, he gets fucked over, you know, like, I I kind of get it. Whatever. Um, I... <laughs> and then in the second half of the movie, he's just, like, a rabid animal, right? Like, he's just doing as much cocaine... As, like, his heart would have exploded, like, two weeks in, and people would be like, we got to find a new boss. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there was blood everywhere. <laughs> um but what part of Manny and Gina's plan w- w- included uh surprising the cokehead
0: who has murdered everybody that he knows and who violently accosts both of you if you make eye contact yeah like what what uh
1: what your, what was your what was your plan survive. there was you like you know what we should do
0: startle the cokehead hey you know my cokehead brother with all the guns yeah yeah. Let's surprise him with something that he has been very clear he hates. <laughs> Not a fan. Not a fan. Yeah. Um, yeah. So the other part that kind of leads to his downfall is that he uh, – there's, um, there's a person who is appearing on like 60 Minutes and other television shows who is basically calling out the Bolivians and the whole drug trade. And he's going in the country of Bolivia saying like this – he's like putting up pictures of people and like this is the guy – that is doing the drug trading, and here's the the thing. And, and so his boss is like, um, who's uh, Alejandro? Uh, is like, hey, you gotta kill this guy, and I'm gonna I'm gonna give you my assassin, who is played by. Um, uh, uh, he's he's from uh, Breaking Bad. He's the he's the uncle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He um, um, he plays uh
1: not Hector Salamanca. Is he? Like Don Sal, he plays one of the, Salaman- one of the Salamancas. Um, but yeah, it's amazing to see him like this. Yeah, is it? Is
0: it? He plays Shadow. Yeah, 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 yeah. So it was like his killer. He's like, um, so he, he's like, I'm gonna bring him with you, and you guys are gonna plant this bomb, and you're gonna kill this guy who is talking, uh, talking about us. And in a very unconvincing scene, in my opinion, they plant a bomb. They're driving. I mean, it's, it's convincing in the fact that, like, Tony Montana doesn't like being told what to do. And, of course, he would shoot Shadow in the face, who's, like, the most trusted guy that uh, from Alejandro Alejandro's group. Um, but, like, he gives this big – like, I think you're supposed to think that Tony is a good guy in this scene. And, yes, you shouldn't blow up people, w- whether their wife or children are present, but, like – like the idea of like tony has like a, a a streak of morality suddenly go through him like it's unconvincing i take it more as like he doesn't really like being told what to do he doesn't like they sent this guy to watch him and he's trying to find an excuse to basically say you're not going to tell me what to do cuz that matches him a lot more than all of a sudden like what what he says is like uh his, his exact line in my best for this show tony montana voice what do you think I am? Do you think I'd kill two kids and a woman? Fuck that! I don't need that shit in my life. <laughs> And then he shoots Shadow in the face.
1: Yeah, which I think
0: is one of the gorier kills. Not the... very short sight. Yeah, uh,
1: it was one of the. And then he just goes home. And then Sosa's like, "I didn't like that you
0: did that. That wasn't very good." Okay. Not great. Also, they found the bomb. Now there's security. And of course, uh, Tony reacts in his normal, calm way where he's like, oh, yeah, I'm going to fucking kill you then. You stupid. And like it, it's such a great scene to realize like how small time he was in the, as a cog of like that Alejandro hangs up. He's just kind of like,
1: yeah. Uh, I, don't really I, I don't need to barter with you anymore. Totally I'm an bad. out hit squad. I'm I'm going to I'm going to send my my other special cleanup guy who, who has a shotgun and wears his sunglasses at night. Yeah. Um yeah. I'm going to send my other special cleanup guy to come after you. I don't really care. Um the
0: your threats are you're going to come down here and kill me? No, you're yes. not. like you're done. And
1: no thank And you. like okay, so the the Tony refusing to to do this act is is interesting because like there's a subplot that Tony wants kids, like having like a family dynasty. The beautiful uh, white blonde Magazine cover wife and their beautiful, their beautiful children. Like is the American dream for him, right? Like this is the American dream I've seen in magazines, right? The fact that Michelle Pfeiffer is a white woman and like in Miami and like a like cocaine thin blonde. Like I think that's all of those aesthetics are very important. I think unfortunately, like they don't give her much more than to be like an iconographic kind of image, which sucks um yeah and like the he wants all that he can't have kids so there's like okay so that kind of feeds into the decision right like because he's like i want to have i want to have kids what you're saying feeds into the decision i think more strongly in my brain where i'm like he just doesn't like getting barked around and then all of that together with the fact that like he has gone down like a moral spiral for so long that he's like I have to have something that I draw the line at, right? Like yeah. I, I can't be a complete animal. I have to have something I draw the line at and they think that I'm just an animal that they can exploit. They can just tell me what to do and I go do it. It's like it all kind of feeds Watch into that as he was It it all kind of feeds into it, but he's so far gone at this point That like he's so down the, the cocaine hole that there's like no way to really tell what his actual motivation is but there's a lot of like motivating factors for this moment but like I don't think any of them are like canonical because the movie's not edited that way
0: yeah which i mean it leads to kind of the final scene which is really like the 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 like i told you like man that was not what i ex- expected i expected it to be a defiant last man going down um, wild bunch style and instead it's like a just kind of sad and pathetic like he definitely takes out a few guys cuz he has a big gun um but it's it's like his even if you had didn't know where it was headed, his fate is sealed. It is funny that there's. It is a good shootout. It is kind of like a very visceral scene. De Palma knows how to direct those kind of things. It is funny that when he's dead, ironically, right above the world is yours statue in the fountain. The movie just ends. Mm-hmm. There's not anyone going. We got him. There's not like his. The world is not his anymore. Movie over. And I really, I really like the way that you know post the shootout and a lot of the different iconic uh, moments that happen in there, it is just like, there's nothing nothing else to say here. Like, there's... Any other movie would have had, like, a mom, the mom grieving at the funeral or, like, someone calling the bad guy. Some sort of, like, epilogue. And this movie is like, yep, cl- like, in, in a great, like, visual moment, it's just saying here was the theme. This person thought the world was his. He stepped on, killed and did everything he could. And he ended up literally in a, in a pool of his own blood right underneath that, like uh, um, uh mantra he was aspiring to reach. Yeah.
1: Yeah, exactly. Um, it's a, uh, it's, it's a great ending. I gotta say like for a movie that I, I have some mixed feelings about, I think the ending really like smooths over a lot of my issues with the movie because like there's, there's a moment when Al Pacino turning into a – you just think he can't climb any higher. He can't climb any higher with this this performance. And then two things happen. One, he goes way, way down. He goes really, really quiet after uh, Marie, after uh, Gina dies. Gina. And, uh, and uh, I can't keep doing the mixing the actor name and the character name thing. I got to just go one direction. Uh, after Gina dies um, – she he goes really quiet and he's whispering and he says manolo like he says like manny's name and and like yeah. he he's like feeling some sense of regret and then he's like all right well if i'm fucking killing myself like, okay and then he just, just say hello to my little zooms friend. back up to <laughs> say hello yeah. to my little friend yeah you want to play rough I, I, I i'll play rough okay you want to get rough yeah. sure well, you wanna get nuts? Say hello to my little friend. Get nuts. Um, and then, um, of course, because Al Pacino is such like an intense actor, he's shooting blanks out of this, um, this M16, right? Uh, M16 with like an M203 grenade launcher underneath. Uh, and he's shooting blanks out of the rifle. He's just spraying everywhere. And, uh, apparently Al Pacino burned his hand pretty bad. He burned himself pretty bad on the barrel because it's a, The actual the the gas is still coming out of the like the gun right like yeah um hot gun yeah like and uh he burned himself and they had to like kind of shoot for a few days while he was healing like around him and that's why there's so much footage of all of them crawling around the and invading the, the compound the compound invasion is so good dude it's so creepy it's so just like a slow motion disaster happening like they're running so fast but like the place is so big that it still like
0: takes like minutes to happen it also is like oh this is where video games came yes from. <laughs> like the like it, it it it's hard to it's it's so it's not surprising that like a grand theft auto would come back around for it but even like the idea of like the wave of uh henchmen coming as you get like more ammo and bigger guns, and like I'm gonna use my grenade here. Like, it, it it's hard not to be like, oh, this is this is video yeah. games. Thank you, Scarface, for video games. Yeah,
1: and it's not that you know the other people don't have uh submachine guns and shotguns and stuff, it's that he has but he's the main character, he's the main character, character. he's in his pinstripe suit. And he has a gun that's bigger than the other guns, which means that he shoots better than the other guys. And then because of cocaine... His, his, Plus, he's been leveled yeah, up. Yeah, he leveled up via cocaine. Yep. Um, and when he's getting... it's he did the power boost right before. It's very poetic that, like, all of their bullets can't really, like, kill him, and he eventually is just, like, thrown out his machine gun, and he's like, just fucking... Like, basically just fucking kill me. Um, and it's not working. And it takes literally the shotgun guy, like, Separating his body from his brain for him to die, like he literally has to be snuck up on and have his throne taken from him from behind before he's like actually out of the picture. It's yeah. tragic. Um, and it's I tragic. Do, I I like yeah. all the like side characters in this movie. All the side performances I do too. All the side performances, like Ernie, that was, is that great. Was
0: Ebert's point. Ebert's point of this movie and why he liked it so much is that it was different than. So many of the other movies that he'd seen about, like, gangsters or mob or mafia ties, and that, like, it's not a movie about crime cliches. It is a movie about actual, like, characters who are criminals. And, like, I do see that. Like, there is a, um, you know, to kind of get to my, my final thoughts, like, I, I I think this movie falls short, and I think the expectations of this movie, it's a three hour crime movie directed by Brian De Palma, starring Al Pacino. There there was kind of the sense and it was kind of marketed as the godfather of the eighties, right? It's not that. If you look at it for that, you're going to be disappointed. Because The Godfather has a lot of operatic themes and conflicted characters and, like, this idea of being sucked into this, like, miasma of, like, uh, you know, crime that you can't escape. It's like, it's like an orbit. It's like, you know, it's, it's a Greek tragedy around around uh you know set set in an Italian like mafia world this is a fucking pulpy Brian de Palma crime movie and with a with a protagonist who is like a unlike like antihero is the wrong word because he is just a he is the antagonist to everyone else if you made a movie, like everyone else is the protagonist and he is the antagonist to every single one of the other characters in the oh yeah movie. and like that is what is, like, so good about this movie. So, it like, it has its problems. We talked a lot of, about them at the, at the onset. Like, I don't think this is a five-star masterpiece. It is a fucking really good movie, though, like, that I enjoyed quite a bit. Looked through a lens of um, this movie differing from my expectations quite a bit. And, again, it's not going to live up to what I think it was – Whether it was trying to be or whether it was marketed as or what its reputation is, is kind of different things on its own as a fucking pulpy ass Brian De Palma uh, crime thriller with all the uh, in the 80s with all the touches that that inspires. Like it is, it is very enjoyable, even if it doesn't quite hit or spend enough time on any of the themes that i think oliver stone would tell you he was trying to work into the movie
1: yeah and i think that there's you know like there's like two scenes with the mom where the the mom um rejects him for being you know a gangster and a bad name to cubans and some of those names do feel a little bit like having your cake and eating it too um there's really great like little moments in the movie like okay so after this int- incredibly intense scene where Tony murders Lopez and the corrupt cop um who's the judge in Ghostbusters 2 um he there's a moment where you're like oh he's just going to clean house he's going to kill Ernie too he's going to kill the hun- the right hand man too and he, yeah. and then the music cuts and then uh, Al Pacino goes uh you want a job Ernie? Like it's 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 fascinating as a movie because like he understands that like this is not a war against like this is not a war against like uh, everybody that's ever looked at him funny. He's like I have specific obstacles get to get out of my way, and be, after that, like if I can't turn you to my side, I can shoot you. Like he basically yeah. turns into like this. Like he, he he's like if you don't if you don't turn. Turn to me, I'll, I'll kill you for the rest of the movie. And um, there's, there, there's like other lines in the movie that I think are like kind of funny. One of them is unintentional is, uh, and this uses a, a slur against Italians, um, he goes, mob guys, guineas, I don't trust them. It was very funny for Al Pacino to say. Um, I don't think that joke was supposed to be a winking nod at the audience. I think the idea is that he's so inhabited this Cuban character that he can say whatever he wants about Italians because there's no Italian here. There's just Tony. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He's just like Dana Carvey, master of, master of disguise. We should cover master of disguise next summer. Um, and uh, so th- there's an interesting like sort of v- vapidness to Tony where like, Um, and I kind of want to end my, my note on that where like what capitalism kind of does in a lot for a lot of these people is it kind of hollows you out. Like your sense of morale, like we don't know Tony's actual morality at the, in the, in that final choice that I was kind of trying to figure out in my head out loud. Like we don't know Tony's actual morality in the end. We don't. And the, like, the thing is like, it's not that like Tony wants to like cuckold Frank as a power move. It's that Tony wants to hermit crab Frank as a person. Tony crab Tony's like is like Frank is the next level of success. I want to get that crab out of that shell and I'm gonna I'm gonna Hermit Crab in there. I'm gonna get I'm gonna get in Frank. And then he gets in that shell and he's not happy with it. It's not a big enough shell. It doesn't make him it doesn't make him happy. He needs to find a new shell. Like Tony's not in this for like sexual humiliation or whatever. Like uh, Tony is in this because, like, he just constantly is trying to work his way up the food chain in a way that, like, I think that, like, uh, is a pretty good, like, it's a pretty good story about, like, how capitalism is this, like, growth machine that doesn't stop growing until it eats itself, right? If there's nothing left to eat, yeah. it eats itself. And um, you see this recently, like, with so many of, like, a- like private equity groups buying, like, successful companies and then yeah. saddling them with debt ending up getting rich on the other end because what their the the loans they're taking out benefit the private equity guys and the company goes under. Just today we're talking about um uh, instant pots. And there's all these people in the comments being like I don't really like my instant pot or I don't use it very much or everybody got one as a wedding gift and now they don't like no that's not That's not the conversation that's actually happening. When you actually read the article that was shared with it, they very quickly explain that private equity guys bought this company, saddled it with an enormous amount of debt. And basically, the Instant Pot guys that still stayed at the company after the buyout were supposed to just keep growing the company indefinitely. And at specific rates, and, and yeah. specific amount of cash influx, and it was basically an impossible goal. And the guys that got out, like the creator of the company, it was a a a, um, a Canadian guy who like lost his job in two thousand eight. He got out. He was like, "I got my money. I'm getting the fuck out of here. I don't trust these private equity guys," and he was right to not do that.
0: <laughs> and like. I think that's that's it's a that's you know there's Tony Montana and the- I mean that's the Toys R Us story too where they're like everyone's like well Toys R Us went out of business because obviously you can't compete and they're like actually read all the stuff like Toys R Us was making a profit year over year it was bought by private equity and in order to actually be profitable because of the debt that it had been saddled with um, it needed to be uh, impossibly profitable every single year to break even. And that's, I mean, that's the Twitter story, right? Like, the reason why he's like, Twitter needs to make a lot more money than it was making, which is like 5 billion a year, is because Elon Musk wanted it, and he bought it for $44 billion, which it's not worth, so now it has all this debt. So now it needs to make more money so that Elon Musk can pay back the people. Like, it's its so fucking stupid. And shit that used to be illegal,
1: even when Scarface came out.
0: 100%, yeah. Reagan did. Yes, yeah. So you can
1: think. And the point is that there's, like, there's, like, a, a a legal version of capitalism that Tony Montana engages in. And, you know, the only cop in the entire movie, really, is, other than the cops that arrest him, the only real cop in the movie is a corrupt cop who's like, everything's fine. Just, like, give me my cut and give me my small gifts and we're going to be happy. Um, and Tony doesn't play that game, either. Like, there's... Uh, there's there's that form of capitalism, like a violent, illegal version. And then there's the white glove, clean version where people who are working at a successful company end up getting laid off because the company didn't hit a specific line on an Excel chart. Um, not that the company couldn't suspend its own business, but because the company couldn't suspend yeah. its own business and all the weight that got saddled on it by these
0: fucking... And all the other people that need to get rich <sighs> off
1: the... Yeah, that all these people who are like, the only reason I invest in this business is because I took out a massive loan for the company that paid off our end of it. And um, no. why is the company not making more money? And it's like, well... You are lying. You knew that Instant Pot was never going to yeah. sell MacBook levels. <laughs> you yeah. knew that they sell people get married every year and they get one. People people graduate from college every year and they get one. Like this is not this is not the thing, but they still they still like it's 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 no risk for them, right? It's somebody they're playing with somebody else's money. They're playing with somebody else's livelihood. And like Tony's fatal flaw is that he worked in the illegal version. The black market version, the muddy glove version of capitalism, as opposed to the white glove. Keep your hands clean. Make sure you hit a specific line in the Excel chart. Yep.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think uh, it's a perfect way to end it. it. It it does seem more like it's about corporate America than, <laughs> than it is about like the some other things. But yeah. Uh, but I don't have anything else, Peter. We got two more of these bad boys. Next week we're doing not the clockwork orange, but just a clockwork orange, like a single. Mm-hmm. It's humble. Clock... It's not the main yeah. one. I don't know. I don't know what the main one is, but we're doing a Clockwork Yeah, orange. we're. It's just
1: nice it's that like they cool. set their boundaries where they're supposed to be. Yeah. Um, there's always room to make another clockwork orange.
0: Yeah, don't don't try to hog it all for yourself. So hopefully if you're watching, you watch the right one. We're gonna watch a uh, clockwork orange. You watch a uh, clockwork orange, we'll <laughs> decide if we watched the same Clockwork mm-hmm. Orange. Uh, and then we're wrapping it up with kind of like I think what may be our funnest episode, but will also be our least positive episode The worst
1: movie the we capacity. cover
0: for sure. Maybe one of the worst movies we've ever covered, period. Combined with one of the most fascinating documentaries we've ever covered, we're doing uh, The Boondock Saints with the accompanying documentary Overnight. And guest Ryan Boland will be joining us for that. So for now, why don't you say goodbye to my little friend and have a good <laughs> night. Peter, you're my little I'm tired of you. So you say, goodbye. say goodbye to Peter.